Would you like something to read? Do you have anything light? Oh. How about this leaflet, Famous Jewish Sports Legends? Yes, thank you. Let me tell you something. 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 Let Greetings, Grapple fans! It's time once again for another dose of professional wrestling pontification. Yes, two people are going to try and take a Huckster Sideshow Carnival attraction from the late 19th century and debate its merits as if it were an undiscovered Shakespearean sonnet that finally confirmed once for all that the man was a bisexual. Yes, it's Let Me Tell You Something. I'm your co-host, Lorcan Mullen, and with me as always is the Kevin Nash to my Scott Hall the Kenny Chaos to my Robbie Rage, the totally to my buffed Mr. Simon Cross. Simon, how you doing, mate? I'm, I'm doing good. I've spent, obviously for the uh, for this episode, I've spent a lot of time on the WWE Network, so my uh, my vision has significantly deteriorated from, from the past week as the uh, glim glow, the glim, dim glow of my uh, laptop has been accompanying me on many a lonely, lonely night. And do you now hear when you walk along the streets of Leicester, faintly in the back of your mind? Do, 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 do. I also find it takes me ages to open any door. <laughs> do you just stand there buffering for ages? Yeah, just 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 getting in my zone. And it's weird. There's always people behind me as well. Mm. Yes, well. As Simon would suggest, this is an episode where we've gone back into the archives and we're going to do our second of what will be a number of discussions about a specific wrestler. The last time we did that, we covered the career of Glenn Jacobs, better known to all of you as Kane. This time, we're going to talk about another man renowned for his explosive, powerful actions and his occasional reticence on the microphone. Yes, we're going to be talking about the one and only, the man, Bill Goldberg. Because what you've been making abundantly clear, and I agree with you, Simon, is that sometimes we're a bit too WWE-centric with our discussions. As we previously just mentioned, we were using the WWE Network. But one of the reasons that I think we are WWE-centric is because, Simon, you come from a wrestling fandom that is post-WCW. When you first got into wrestling, WCW had recently ceased to exist. So I'm curious to know, what was Goldberg to you at that point when you started getting into wrestling? Honestly, the only Goldberg match I'd seen before we um, took on this episode was... His effort at WrestleMania, was it 20 or 20? Yes. No, it was 20, 20 against, uh, Brock Le- Garden. against Brock Lesnar in what can only be described as a 
baffling, baffling match. Which, which uh, not even Stone Cold Steve Austin himself could say. No, but it's a fascinating example of so bad it's good. It wasn't tedious to the point of depression like, say, um, Triple H's match with Randy Orton at WrestleMania 25 or the majority of WrestleMania 4 and WrestleMania 9. There is, it's like looking at a, a car crash as you're driving past on a motorway. You just crane your neck to see the devastation and wonder how something <laughs> like this could have ever happened. Well, it's, it, it, it was just weird because it was a golden opportunity and, and it spent so long hyping it and it just got squandered. I think, I think in many ways it's a microcosm of Goldberg, Goldberg's career. Lots of his money matches were just squandered. Mm. Mm. Yes, it was the squandering of something that they didn't really realise that they had, maybe until it was too late. Well, not really. Um, maybe too quickly. Um, so what were the things that you knew about Goldberg before you embarked upon this great research job of yours what what did you know did you know much about the streak did you know what his signature moves were did you know how important he was in maybe the most exciting year in the history of pro wrestling at least in the north america which was 1998 what did you know about the man i knew about the streak obviously i knew that it was ended in somewhat controversial circumstances because before the Goldberg research, I have, I have recently finished the Monday Night War uh, season on uh, on the network, <clears throat> and on that there is a Goldberg episode, which includes the ending of the streak and obviously the building up of the streak, as well as his uh, disastrous match with uh, Stephen Regal, I think he was known as then, mm-hmm. but uh, William Regal trying to uh, do do his best. To carry Goldberg through a technical masterpiece, it's it seems even William Regal has limitations on what he can do. But um, I, I knew about it, and I knew he was WCW's only homegrown star, the only one they'd ever bothered developing. I would add to that Diamond Dallas Page. True, and but- depending on how you define the point where it becomes WCW Sting. He's either um, a creation of the Jim Crockett promotion era or the WCW. Okay, I suppose I should add add on the caveat. In terms of the way John Cena is a homegrown WWE star, in terms of 95 to 100% of all of his work ever has been under WWE contract, whereas DDP did rise up through the independents. He didn't, he didn't. He was actually a manager until he came to WCW, and then he reinvented himself as a wrestler there. I don't expect you to have nearly as much nerdy knowledge as I do about this, Simon. But that's the point, that's one of the points of us starting this uh, podcast, is to have this generational gap. And, as I said, you came into wrestling in 2002, so... WCW had died, ECW had died, and Goldberg had stopped potentially being a full-time employee of a wrestling promotion until a year into your fandom when he turned up on Raw the night after WrestleMania 19 and speared The Rock. And that was also WrestleMania 19 being the last ever event that Stone Cold Steve Austin wrestled. 
And then the day after is the day when Goldberg perceived as his great rival in 1998 for dominating the culture of wrestling. Started with the WWE and had his fairly, one would say, lackluster run with the WWE. Were you watching Raw at that time and, and did you get the um, significance of him coming out and spearing The Rock and being in a WWE ring for the first time? I wasn't watching Raw at that time. I was mainly catching whatever I could, mainly from the library in the Neaton, or um, just from when I was around the mate's house, just catching snippets. Uh, but I so I haven't seen that. I, I wasn't watching, and I didn't see that specific moment as it happened, kind of thing. So it's, I do get the vibe, obviously, uh, same of the vibe I had when Sting turned up recently at Survivor Series. So, mm. so I understand it, but I wasn't. Fully engrossed in it, if you see what I mean. That's an interesting point, because my equivalent to that would be when Ric Flair debuted in the WWE in 1991. And I had never seen Ric Flair before. I didn't know who he was. In hindsight, I know that I saw little dolls, like play figures in, in shops, and they always seemed to be in the cheaper stores. And it was... I knew Sting, but I didn't really know anyone else. And I knew Sting because he had the face paint. Um... And then when I finally hear that Ric Flair's going to turn up and he's the guy to challenge Hulk Hogan, and I see this not particularly remarkably physiqued man with white hair, um, six foot something, and very strange bathrobes walking down the ring, it, <laughs> it did baffle me slightly, and I and I struggled to see the greatness. But I do remember also seeing him wrestle a match with Tito Santana, uh, very soon after that, and in beating the crap out of Rowdy Roddy Piper in a really great angle, which saw Vince McMahon take a wooden chair to the back. And this was 1991, um, powder blue blazer wearing, not blue blazer, but blue <laughs> jacket wearing <laughs> Vince McMahon taking. Um, so it's interesting that, and, and, and that's something that makes me wonder about the, the current Sting storyline. At the time that we record, it, it's a week or so before WrestleMania comes. And I'm just wondering... Uh, them 13 talk- days. Yeah, they're talking, about, um, they're talking about Sting and the significance he had in WCW. But they always say, oh, and it died 14 years ago. So to a 10-year-old wrestling fan, why should they care? That would be like when you got into wrestling... So you got into wrestling in 2002. That would be like them basing a whole big WrestleMania storyline about something that happened back in 1988. What what would that mean to you? I, I mean, I've really thought about it in that way. I mean, 888 would have been, what, WrestleMania 3? WrestleMania 4. four time? So, I mean, yeah. Though, I mean, the, imagine the... I couldn't imagine a wrestler around in WrestleMania 4 that would still be going in terms of what only in the main event guys. I was going to say, except for Hogan, who ostensibly was still dragging himself to the ring mm. for big payouts at, around that time. It's like someone uh, said about how at the end of this year's Royal Rumble, we'll get back to Goldberg, um, but it's just that, that importance of the time gaps and you not really understanding the history and maybe the history is not in, important to you. The, 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 Kane and the Big Show were in the final four at this year's Royal Rumble in 2015. And they'd also been in the final four at the Royal Rumble in 2000. And they said that was the equivalent if at, if at the Royal Rumble in 2000, King Kong Bundy and Big John Studd were still 
key parts in the main event scene beating up the baby faces. I think people like things they know work or things they've seen work before. People like comfortability and I think that 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 was your point I think in terms of Goldberg being on Raw Sting turning up now because whilst there are those 10 year olds there are also you know a lot of people who do remember those glory days and want to see it happen I want to see it happen uh, and I never saw Sting like mm. at the time mm. until obviously the first time I saw him actually live in a wrestling ring was at Survivor Series but I really want to see it because because now I'm smart mm. whereas Goldberg was I don't want to say just a bloke, because let's face it, the physique on the man, he is a tank. Mm. He's a specimen, and that's one thing he had over Ric Flair, the point you were making earlier. Ric Flair was never really a physique man, but in the 2002, especially with the rise of UFC and the whole bodybuilding hype was just about to take off a little bit more in the US, uh, certainly over the West Coast way. Mm. But uh, he just epitomised this bloke, like just this man... Alright, my point is, <clears throat> in one ways, he's just like this bloke, you all know, you, like, you know someone like him, but you don't know someone as like him as him, mm. in the way that everyone knows a bloke that looks a bit like Goldberg. <laughs> like, everyone knows that he's got the physique, he's got, like, the goatee, he's got the, like, shaved head or the stubbly head. You, you don't want to mess around with him, but Goldberg was, like, the emperor of that bloke. Yeah. So people There's could guys- relate to it. There's guys that look like Goldberg standing with black jackets on outside every mid-level nightclub in every city centre. But none of them exude that aura about him, which is what Goldberg said. And just one last point on the time element of it and the gaps and the fact that... Here's something that's significant for you. It's 14 years since WCW died and they're trying to build a storyline about something that took place 14 years ago. 14 years is twice the length of Goldberg's entire run in pro wrestling. He started, he debuted on telly in September of 1997. And he had his last job under contract with the WWE in April of 2004. That's just about seven years in the business. I should explain to our American audience that um, telly is what we British people call television. Yeah. Um, but Teams. no, your point, <laughs> your point is valid. It's he's 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 made such a big impact for short, such a short time, and he he never really wanted to. I mean, wrestling wasn't his first choice of career either. No, and it's not like it's not like he he became overly enamoured with it. Like, unlike Stone Cold Steve Austin, who loves the business still. I mean, he still like to harps on about it on his podcast. I say harps on, great stuff. But um, I'm sorry, I've been harping on about this, Simon. <laughs> that was awful. <laughs> but good. I think that's quite a good impression for what it is. Well, I can't well, do Goldberg. Goldberg <laughs> doesn't have a very tough voice. It's quite surprising. Um. <clears throat> I can't really do that. Was a very bad. That was a terrible start of an impression. Um, but Goldberg, his first love was football, American football. And is it really his? Do, do you look down? Not look down. Do you? Do you think it's a bad thing that he became a star in wrestling if he didn't care much for wrestling? Do you think the only people that become stars in wrestling have to be passionate about it? No. Well. People admire people that love what they people admire people who love what they do. 
Mm. Goldberg wasn't really that. Goldberg didn't appreciate. Goldberg appreciated one aspect of wrestling. You look at the way Goldberg talks about Chris Jericho, mm. and you tell me if he's like the right man to see every aspect of the business. The way, like in that Monday Night Wars episode, it's like, oh, well, it's unrealistic that he could beat me. It's like. The suspension of disbelief is the whole point of professional mm. wrestling. One of the I things mean, that's great about wrestling is that you can <clears> tell that David and Goliath story yeah. if you do it well. Oh, I mean, yeah. That's what, mean, that's um, what, sorry, just to finish. That's what boggled my mind about people saying that Brock Lesnar couldn't lose to Daniel Bryan because that's not realistic. Well, forgive me if I'm wrong, but isn't one of the greatest matches that Brock Lesnar's ever been a part of the one he had with Eddie Guerrero? who's pretty much the exact same height and body type as Daniel Bryan. And Eddie Guerrero was pretty convincing in his victory there. No one ended up saying, oh, well, that wasn't realistic. It told the story perfectly. Yeah, but to play devil's advocate, it wasn't like he got a clean win over Lesnar. Well, Daniel Bryan doesn't need to get a clean, 100% clean win over Lesnar either. But they can tell a great story. Mm. I mean, the point is we're trying to make is that you get like height and like weight don't really matter especially when it comes to real life when Chris Jericho dominated Goldberg when they f- came mm. to blows in real in the real world well he was able to neutralize him I don't know if he dominated him but he was able to hold him in a face lock and he could hold him in a face lock and Goldberg couldn't immediately get out of it that as is the story anyway um who knows? Who knows what would have happened if it had kept going? But what is interesting is that Brock uh, Goldberg, as you mentioned earlier, came in with that mixed martial arts style. Uh, and he said it, if you listen to his um, Art of Wrestling podcast with Colt Cabana, that could be a good companion piece to this podcast. And he said his, his concept was that he was a hybrid style, and he incorporated some of that mixed martial arts as well as what he knew from American football with the, the spear and everything like that. Um, but what's interesting is that his was not... When you see uh, the mixed martial arts influence in pro wrestling, more often it's with the submission work of Taz or Ken Shamrock or even The Undertaker, as we discussed in our previous episode with his Hell's Gate and, and with <laughs> the 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 influence of MMA was more towards the submission. But Goldberg came at about the same time that the Chuck Liddells of this world were the most popular UFC fighters, those explosive, hard-as-nails-looking... Again, just like a, a bouncer with a with more sophistication in how he threw his punches. <laughs> because Goldberg yeah. did occasionally try to do those mat submission moves, but by God, they looked ugly. Because no one knew what they were doing in that moment. In neither he applying the hold nor the person who was supposed to take the hold. The matches I've watched, every time he's gone for this rolling leg submission, it's never worked entirely. No, it's like... Um, obviously, I was watching him against Bret Hart at um, Starcade, And he even gets the counter to the ring post figure four wrong. Mm. Uh, like he's, just, he's, he's trying to like grab his leg and pull it up. I'm like, that, that doesn't help you in that situation. So here's an important thing to you. Do you think it's necessary for a guy in the main event to be a good wrestler? No. However, I believe that it would be preferable for the good of the product because you can do more with good wrestlers than you can with bad wrestlers. Mm. 
I mean, look but, you at, might not, but you might not make as much money. You might well. Obviously, financial aspects is one aspect, but it's a very short-term way of looking at things. But you've got to look at it from I'd the promoter's say. point of view. The reason that the promoters put Goldberg in the main event was because the crowd were going apeshit for him. So clearly the crowd didn't care that he was blowing spots left and right when put into anything slightly more intricate than taking or giving a big power move. That's, that's a valid point, but I would counter that with saying, say you had, say you tried to replicate Goldberg by having two or, two or three like Goldberg-like people in the main events of like WCW pay-per-views, it wouldn't have lasted long. Mm. So... Goldberg's the exception that proves the rule more than anything else. The funny thing was, you won't know this, but around the time that Goldberg was making his big um, run with the belt, there was another guy on the mid card that was getting a string of quick, high profile, well not high profile, but quick victories over lesser mid card talent. And it was a guy called Wrath, who was also known as Adam Bomb. In the WWE, unlike Goldberg, he had been around, he had taken losses, but then he just started to build this momentum. And I remember watching him and thinking, because the guy always had an amazing look. It, it's kind of bizarre that, it, in a way, it's a bit bizarre that he never had one huge run. His biggest run was uh, as chronic with Brian Adams. Right. Brian Clark was his name. And obviously he was terrible in the ring for the most part, but he had such an amazing look. And... He was being built up. He had, and then Kevin Nash just wiped him out just in the build-up to Starcade to, I guess, show that he could beat Mini Goldberg, and now he'll take on proper Goldberg. <laughs> well, Kevin Nash was, I mean, he was in charge of creative around the time. We're getting close, to, I think, to the point that you're going to mention because um, obviously you were talking about building up of wins, and Goldberg did that so famously. It's ingrained in wrestling culture was it 173 I know he got to in the something end? like that it was in the 170s I know that's but that that was made up uh, to a point I did a little research actually I didn't bring the spreadsheet with me but I did just look through his history of wins on Nitro Thunder and um, Saturday nights and pay-per-view and it came to about 70 or so televised matches, 70 to 80, I think, when he finally did lose to Kevin Nash. Um, but one of the interesting things about that run was, of course, the uniqueness of it was that he was starting from scratch. It wasn't that... When they when they build up stars for the future, very often they'll be on the losing end for the first year, and it'll be like, oh, we show great promise. They, I remember when I first got into WCW in the early 90s, they did that very often with Marcus Bagwell, Buff Bagwell. Mm. He'd have, he'd fight hard, but he'd just come up short and keep at it, boy, cause in a couple of years time, you'll get to be a preening prick that ruins the invasion. But, um, with Goldberg, it started off. It just, they kept him undefeated and they built it up and built it up and built it up. And he hadn't lost. He had literally never lost in wrestling. And someone who hasn't lost in wrestling is utterly unheard of. Basically, the only other person that was built up like that was Andre the Giant, but he was losing in Japan and Mexico and the like, but WWE claimed that he went undefeated for 20 years or something like that. I'd say you've missed out Samoa Joe's TNA run. Yes, but that was that was inspired by Goldberg. This was before, that was, that was post-Goldberg. I'm talking pre-Goldberg. You had to pay your dues. You had to earn your spurs. The fans had to see you improve 
before you could win the belt. But the, 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 the suggestion was that Goldberg came fully formed. Yeah. Out of the shell. I guess because they were transferring his sports skills elsewhere. Like I said, his inspiration was the hybrid athletes. Mm. Brock Lesnar was the hybrid athlete in the UFC in that he came in straight away and he didn't have to build up wins really. He won the heavyweight title in his fourth ever fight. Yeah, I mean, that's also because, don't forget, Brock obviously tried American football as well. Weirdly, he tried it after professional wrestling, so he is like a reverse Goldberg, but. Brock Lesnar's he's Goldberg very much a hell of a lot the, more talent. Brock Lesnar is, they're very similar people in terms of that they both want to try their hand at anything. Brock's just can do it. It's like if you put Goldberg in an octagon, it would not end well at any point in his, like, athletic prime or afterward. Maybe if he had the opportunity at the age that he, when he was at his peak age to take part in it, he could have built up over two or three years into something halfway decent. You'll never know. Goldberg will never know. We'll never know for certain whether Goldberg can take a punch in the face for reals and keep going. Um, but what uh, was I about to say? There's an interesting thing again with Brock Lesnar and Goldberg in that they came from uh, collegiate sports backgrounds and Goldberg's was football, American football, and Brock Lesnar's was amateur wrestling, one of which is a lot more conducive to becoming a great pro wrestler than the other one. Unsurprisingly, it's the wrestling one because that emphasizes balance, bridging, uh, stamina, conditioning, core strength, whereas American football is all about explosiveness. It's about being able to run 40 meters in four seconds. It's about being able to lift crazy amounts of weight. It's about being able to push and smack into things. Most American football plays don't last any more than 30 seconds or so. I would say it's more that you have to you fill a specific role if you're an American footballer, whereas mm. if you're an amateur wrestler, you have to be near enough the total package. You can't mm. be one-dimensional. Not saying that American footballers are one-dimensional, but they they are role-defined, mm. whereas amateur wrestlers aren't so much. Mm. Well, that's why Goldberg worked in his strengths, which was the sudden explosiveness of these moves, because he's used to being crouched down, hut, hut, hike, and then doing whatever he's got to do in that brief burst of energy. Be that hitting someone with a spear, or nailing them with a kick, or whatever else high-impact move he had to do, or lifting them off the ground and then turning it into a power slam. I'll tell you what about Goldberg's spear. And this is obviously me just watching a few Goldberg matches. Compared to those who have uh, the spear or the, even the gore as a finisher, the way he builds it up, it's the least animated yet the most compelling. Yes. Edge would obviously like bounce, like you know, be holding the middle rope, like bouncing up and down, measuring, measuring. Roman Reigns is, you know, the big roar of his. Mm-hmm. Um, Rhino sets up for the gore in quite a. Uh, in quite an aggressive manner, but Goldberg just measures. It's like watching a guided missile system yeah. lock on. He was never... And I was never a huge fan of Edge's spear. Rhino's gore was okay. Um, and Roman Reigns' spear is a pretty good one. But it's none of them compared to Goldberg, because Goldberg was 
he would take the legs from under them. I think he would lift them up and what he was do, what, when he was take. So he'd take the full force, and he clearly didn't much care for the safety of his opponents. Whereas Edge, Edge's spear seemed catered to not hurt either of them that much, which is very pro, very admirable professionally, but maybe not as spectacular visually. That and Edge wasn't really heavy enough for the spear. Yeah, it never really, really ma- like a, a, a lanky guy hitting you with a spear just didn't seem as deadly as a man who seemed to have five lots of shoulders on top of his shoulders. <laughs> um, but the, the, again, to get back to the American football, because I've never really been a huge fan of American football, because I can watch it in highlights, but over an extended period of time, it's not very entertaining to me because there's lots of lulls. That's kind of like a Goldberg match. It's great as a highlights package, but if you have to watch it for more than ten minutes, you can get very bored very quickly. It is my experience. Most Goldberg matches were highlight packages, near enough. Exactly when he was at his best, when he was at his most popular, when they were accentuating his strengths. That was when he'd go out there and just knock a knock Jerry Flynn or Rocco Rock or Glacier on their ass. Just absolutely obliterate them. Fans love a badass, especially in the late nineties. That was the especially when the other side had uh, its own badass in Stone you Cold have, Steve Austin. Have, everyone wants to be cool. Stone Cold's cool. The NWO's cool. The Rock's cool. Mick Foley's anti-cool, which is what makes him cool in his own way. He's hipster cool. In many yes, ways. very much so. He even had the beard to prove it. But Goldberg was cool in that in that in that American football way. You've got to look at the fan base of WCW in particular. It was Southern. It was very often college aged fans and Southerners who liked their smash mouth, hard hitting football. And Goldberg was play for the Atlanta Falcons. You couldn't get more WCW. The guy who stud- who went to college in Georgia played for the Atlanta Falcons, and then went to the WCW power plant and came out there. None more WCW and Georgia, Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia than that. And I think that was, sorry, when I was alluding to the homegrown thing, that's that's more what I meant, is he was the only true power plant graduate to break the glass ceiling in WCW. Well, they tried it terribly with the natural brawn thrillers era of WCW wrestlers towards the end when their roster was utterly devastating. The likes of Sean O'Hare, Mark Jindrak, Chuck Palumbo, um, Reno, above average Mark Sanders. None of these names will mean anything to you. But we, but I have to... Jindrak... I think he carved out... He's, not, he's done all right now. He's they tried AAA. to rebuild him. Yeah. Uh, is he still in AAA? I know he had a run in Mexico. But at that time, they thought they clearly thought the Goldberg magic, maybe they could replicate it. Because I remember the first match that Sean O'Hare and Mark Jindrak... Yes, Mark Jindrak and Sean O'Hare had. They had them beat Rey Mysterio and Juventud Guerrero. So they obviously had hopes for them. Sean O'Hare, I think, was who they were thinking of building the promotion around when Eric Bischoff was talking of taking over the promotion in 2000 before it finally went to Vince McMahon. That was the rumour. And at the time, to be fair, I thought Sean O'Hare had a lot of potential. Um, But Goldberg was something special just in charisma, in presence. And they catered to it well. They booked him well up to a point until he then had to mingle with the great political players of the time. 
just the presentation of him. And they had such a huge depth of roster at that time. Mm. This was at a time when WCW could host a 60-man battle royal. And most of them would at least have appeared on TV relatively regularly, even if it was worldwide and Saturday night. They still had a roster that was basically 60 deep, at least. And they could feed Goldberg body after body after body. And it wasn't just local schlubs. It was Jerry Flynn. It was one of Raven's flock. It was Glacier. It was Mortis. It was the Barbarian. It was Hugh Morris, famously, in his first <laughs> match. It's... So it gave him something bordering on legitimacy. Mm. It's like it's like beating um, it's like beating who's that who's that guy? It's like beating Dan Hardy in the UFC or something like that. To bring you back a little bit, there you were right in terms of they fed him well because they had the strength and depth that came with Ted Turner's checkbook to feed him well. But I feel I must talk about this. The the ending of his streak, it was... I, I don't know who came up with that finish. I get that you had to legitimise him losing in some way that might have been a little bit controversial. But to hit him with an obviously fake taser to do it, it just seemed a bit... Well, any that's as stupid as any finish involved. Oh, sorry, spoiler alert. WWE. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, people know, people know. You don't need to spoil anything on this show. So, at least not something that happened back in 1998. Um, um, yeah, they, they, they pulled the trigger on that. It's so funny because they pulled the trigger too early on Goldberg winning the title and they pulled the trigger way too early on him losing the title. He lost the title at the event he should have won the title, if you ask me, at Starcade 98. Oh, yeah, because obviously Starcade's their equivalent of WrestleMania, so... Yeah, although I think they never really liked the fact that, that it was in December. I think they always saw that as a poor month to put on a big pay-per-view, but it was the tradition at the time. Because they did load up other pay-per-views with big matches. I mean, you have you looked at the Halloween Havoc 98 card? It was a ridiculously stacked card, that one. It had Hogan against The Warrior, Scott Hall against Kevin Nash, Bret Hart against Sting... And the main event of Goldberg against Diamond Dallas Page. Oh, that was the one that um, overran. I have seen the Diamond yes. Dallas Page Goldberg match, mm. which is one of Goldberg's and uh, more entertaining efforts. I, must I think say. one of the reasons for that being that Diamond Dallas Page was noted noted for his fastidiousness. That every move was laid out ahead of time and thought over and poured over, whereas someone like Kevin Nash expects you to call it in the ring and. That was either a sign of his laziness or his old school traditional ways of doing it. And I think because Diamond Dallas Page could hold Goldberg's hand and guide him through it and tell the story really well. Again, telling that David and Goliath story, um, really, uh, even though they were of similar heights, there was that difference of Diamond Dallas Page being the normal man and Goldberg being the superman. I... I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I've misread the psychology. I mean, that was obviously there was a David David versus Goliath element, but I more saw it as finally two good, clean guys going for the title. Because I think at that point the NWO cheating was starting to grate a little bit on some segments of the crowd. They, def- WCW. they definitely played that up, especially at the end when they shook hands and they said he didn't try to set him on fire like Hogan had tried to do to the Warrior earlier on, or there wasn't the NWO in fighting. 
and Goldberg was the sign that they didn't have to be NWO centric anymore, but they went back to that well too often, and they could have done a great Goldberg versus NWO feud, and they claimed that their plan was to do that when they had the NWO Wolf Pack as an NWO elite created on the raw on the Nitro after the Nitro after Starcade, where Hogan beat Nash with the finger poke of doom. And in theory, you could have done it. Though I think the NWO Wolfpack at that point was seven deep. I think it was Hogan, Nash, Hall, Scott Steiner, Buff Bagwell, Lex Luger, and Disco Inferno. <laughs> One of randomly, ones, not like all the others. But you could have had Goldberg go through each one of them, one after another, every month. Also including ones like Bam Bam Bigelow, and you could have dropped Sting in there. Um, And then you could have had that happen every single pay-per-view, building up to Starcade 99, where he beats Hogan for the title. They could have done that story. A combination of injuries and booking ineptitude just didn't... It it fizzled out, just like that NWO Wolfpack did fizzle out. Uh, I think the best that Goldberg got was his revenge win on Nash at Spring Stampede 99, which was the last great pay-per-view that WCW ever put on. Hidden Gem, you should watch that, Simon, if you've never watched it, Spring Stampede 99. I'll, I'll definitely give that one a look. It's my little recommendation for you. Um, we're going to start looking to wind down, because I think it would be appropriate for this to be a relatively short episode, given the relatively short career and the relatively short length of Goldberg's matches. But I think what's interesting about the run he had in the WWE, and it's something symbolic of the stubbornness of Vince McMahon, he won't cater to a wrestler's strengths and weaknesses. He insists upon them working within the formula that he wants his wrestling and his wrestlers. And that's what may, and that's what's causing Roman Reigns all this trouble now, that he's being fed lines that are unnatural to him, that he's taking part in storylines that the, the, the strengths he possessed, they're taking away from him. He's now saying things like suffering succotash. And similarly, when Goldberg came to the WWE, they had Gold just put a gold wig on him. They had him wrestle long matches. They had him take part in back and forth on the microphone. That wasn't Goldberg's strengths. But they have their set rigid formula that the likes of Triple H and Shawn Michaels and John Cena can work to. And if they can work to them, then everyone else should have to work to them, is the WWE's line of thinking. And that's what Roman Reigns has to learn if he's going to be their guy. Um, he has to learn how to make a 20-minute promo. And Roman Reigns is not designed for a 20-minute promo, and neither was Goldberg. They have started protecting Roman recently in, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, many by letting Heyman do the bulk of the talking in that feud, which is the right decision, like when both the other parties are Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. But... Uh, and they have they have started to make like protect him, but you're right. If he is to be a major main event player, he is going to have to step out of the shadows that he's um, cast himself at the corner he's put himself into, rather. Well, not put himself into the corner he's in. Triple uh, Vince McMahon would never have given Goldberg the push that he got in WCW, whether it would have made him money or not, because he's stubborn. Because it's WCW's creation, that, and because that is the theory as well. Um, what other things is there to point out? Uh, I I think some people would. I I was wondering if you think I had a ill feeling towards Goldberg because he was the man that retired Bret Hart. But um, to me, Bret Hart's retirement was just death by a thousand cuts. And um, 
and the concussion was just the last one. Uh, to, to mix your metaphors, that was just the straw that broke the camel's back, but the, <laughs> the camel's back was in terrible disrepair to begin with. There were already three slip discs within the back. Let me... Yeah, I mean, we could do a whole thing. I mean, I, I imagine with you being such a fan, we will do a Bret Hart episode, but for me, Bret Hart's story ends after Montreal. I, I don't really count this WCW thing as a thing that happened. It, it ends after Montreal. It really ends after Owen Hart's death. Um, but let's not get into that. Um, let, let, let's look at the positives. Goldberg was freaking awesome in his time. The entrance, the music, the look... The yelling, the, the inhaling the smoke from the sparklers and then it looking like he can breathe fire. His, his spear, his jackhammer, he turned a suplex into a power slam into one of the coolest looking moves in wrestling. You yeah. can take the simple and still uh, make it look effective if uh, you're just as strong and freakishly athletic as he was. And let's face it, I don't think anyone before him had made the spear a finisher. He, he has to be the man credited for that. Making it a legit finisher. That's so used. I hadn't heard of it as a notion, as a thing, until they started. I mean, I was aware of the tackle. I'd done rugby at school. I knew what that was. Um, yeah. I didn't know of it as the spear. But, and, and it's the one move that most non-wrestling fans will go to as, like, if they're mucking about with you. Or, like, you know, it's the one finisher they all know still. Mm, mm. Simple yet effective. Um... I'm just wondering, like, do you, you know, like how, like, I wish I could have seen punk in its time in the 70s. I wish I could have been there somehow. I wish I could have seen the Beatles live. I wish I could have seen England win the World Cup. I wish I could have seen Aston Villa win the European Cup. Is is Goldberg, of the things you wish you could have seen as a fan, not knowing what was going to happen, does Goldberg rank pretty high there? Looking it's back one at thing it. I'd like to... The whole era, that, those two, three years, if I could watch those as a fresh-eyed fan, I, I, I would... I, it would be heavenly. Mm. But not to say that I don't enjoy watching some of the stuff I watch now. I, I think technically the wrestling has got a lot crisper since mm. 2000. And I think the athleticism has improved, especially since... Um, Steroids seem to have uh, fallen by the wayside for the most part mm. in professional wrestling in, Amer- in North America, which is good news. But I, no, no, I do miss. Um, do you do envy my generation? I do. I do sometimes, but sometimes I see the stuff you had to watch to get to there, and I'm glad <laughs> I got to skip that bit. <laughs> so yeah. it levels out. You didn't have to see Duke the drum. You didn't have to see Duke the dumpster drossy either, or the gobbledygooker. Uh, you didn't have to see the gobbledygook, and no one had to see the gobbledygook. <laughs> <laughs> um, that that is interesting. Um, I think we'll talk about that more reflective of the attitude here. Are there any final thoughts you want to make about Goldberg before we get into the Mount Rushmore discussion? I think your uh, what you mentioned earlier is very good in terms of for people who want to see what Roman Reigns could and should look like, and maybe what the tools will have to use to succeed. Look no further than Bill Goldberg, because let's face it, Roman Reigns, former Canadian Football League player, not wrestling wasn't his immediate first choice, a la Goldberg. Spear is his finisher, a la Goldberg. Different, dominant first year, a la Goldberg. 
different formats of a dominant first year, but nevertheless, all the hallmarks are there in terms of their career path so far. Big guy, but not a monster. I don't know, I think Goldberg was a little bit more monster-esque than Roman. Mm. But he was only, well, only, he was 6'3", six, 6'4", six, so he mm. could theoretically go nose-to-nose with a, um, I don't know, um, a Chris Jericho, even though he disputed this. And they did end up having a match of bad blood that seemed relatively realistic to me, um, as far as... Um, yeah. Uh, also, just one last significant thing about Goldberg... And I know we've probably made a joke of it at the start. He was Jewish. And in America, that was very significant because the idea of a a Jewish athlete, especially a Jewish guy looking like that, was not a common perception. You, you know, when when Family Guy did their version of a Jewish person, they don't they never draw them like Goldberg. No. When South Park do Jewish people, they never draw them like Goldberg. When, um, what's his face? Who's the Jewish comedian? I mean, I know there's many. Uh, when Jackie Mason does jokes about Jewish people, he never talks about the big fellas like Goldberg. <laughs> Your impressions today. But it's, it's the quality of the mic. I'm telling you, this is, this is Bremner-esque gold. On, on I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> but more to the point, um, yeah, I think Goldberg... It's an interesting case study for mm. how to get a, a, a very limited worker over. A unique chapter in the history of wrestling. There's not many like him before. Maybe the Magnum TAs of this world, but not many like him before and not many like him since. Except and maybe not individuals. many like him again. Not really with the NXT development style of it, where you see them iron out the kinks. They'd never let a wrestler get too big for their boots like that. Yeah. They'd have to humble him. That and also has well. This may be maybe it's a topic to leave um, in the minds of our audience. But has power wrestling declined in terms of a style to watch? I think it's starting to become a novelty. When you look at it on the indie scene, very often the power wrestlers are the ones that are looked at with the novelty, like the high flyers were back in the day. Now the high flying high spots are the default. And if you look at something like pro wrestling gorilla. The cult act isn't someone like Ricochet. The cult act is someone like Brian Cage or Uha Nation. The guys that can do the power moves, but then also do a moonsault <laughs> unexpectedly. Yeah. Or um, or Michael Elgin in Ring of Honor. Or I'd say maybe like well, I suppose the giant in his prime, but he was very much like uh, well, he was. I mean the moon. Well, the moonsault story. Yeah. That has done the rounds through time and memoriam, but... Well, I mean, if you want to look at the powerhouse wrestler, we might as well reference him now. I don't know whether we're going to bring him up in the Mount Rushmore, but Ryback is the closest thing we have to a modern-day Goldberg. And they did try to give him the Goldberg push of sorts. Mm. And the crowd started chanting Goldberg, and this was ten years after he'd had any input in the WWE or set foot in a WWE ring. So if nothing else, Simon, we know that his legacy lives on. Whether That's it's true. meant as a compliment or an insult towards Ryback. <laughs> I, th- I think that was more a knock at creative, but I get your point. <laughs> so let's make our scenic route down to Mount Rushmore. Simon, what are your Mount Rushmore moments, matches, images, whatever you're going to define as your Mount Rushmore for 
Goldberg moments or matches. Okay. Um, great match. Goldberg versus DDP. Mm-hmm. I'm having that, definitely. Uh, Halloween Havoc. Him losing the streak uh, purely for how it was booked and what they were doing there. I've, I've no idea. It, it, it just reeks of egotism. His match at WrestleMania... Uh, against Brock Lesnar, purely because for something so awful, it seems to be the defining image of his WWE career, and yet his legacy is still pretty much intact. And finally, now this is going to be a weird one, but I'm going to say his general attitude to wrestling. Mm-hmm. As portrayed by a particular moment, maybe a moment in the documentary, I know you were mentioning on the Monday Night War documentary, was there maybe a, a sound bite or a or an angle, maybe maybe when he just speared Chris Jericho in the entranceway, and that was all we ever got out of that potentially fun pay-per-view-worthy feud. His flippancy towards um, Chris Jericho is definitely a highlight in that documentary. And also his recent comments about the only reason they've really brought Sting back to this is to kill off the final part of WCW. I mean, he is... He still sounds off as a very WCW guy, despite the fact that, well, there's no, like, it's not like Bloods or Crips, but he did switch sides pretty Mm -hmm. soon after his contract expired. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're going for his general selfish attitude. His demeanour. I'm not calling it selfishness, because... His no-bullshit demeanour that can be misconstrued as selfishness. Well, yeah, at the end of the day, he... He didn't get to do his first choice of career, but he made a second choice, earned him a lot of money. At the end so. of the day, he wanted to make money, and he succeeded by doing so, by providing a good that clearly had a lot of people that wanted it. And, yeah. if, you, and if you're of the Al Snow school of wrestling, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. And he's a businessman. Vince McMahon's a businessman who tries to squeeze every penny out of his workers and try to give as little back as he can. Mm. So you can't really blame Goldberg for wanting to make him his own deal. If there are people out there that want to screw him over, he needs to protect himself. True, true. I mean, the, the, the one of the great uh, stories in the Colt Cabana podcast is that he went to a meeting with Vince McMahon before he was supposed to, before he went to WCW, this was back in 96, 97, and he cursed himself to the receptionist and said, oh, I forgot to bring my agent with me. And she said, Vince McMahon doesn't, Mr. McMahon doesn't like having agents there. And Goldberg said, I knew at that moment, well, this isn't the place for me. Mm-hmm. Goldberg is his own man, and you're not going to argue with the guy who looks like that about whether or not he'll play by your rules. So, here are going to be my Mount Rushmore moments. I was very tempted to use Goldberg chants at at Ryback, um, just to emphasise his legacy, but that's not really to do with Goldberg in that moment. It's not Goldberg on screen. Uh, I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with a match I watched. Uh, I mentioned it to you when we were messaging each other on Facebook. A match at Four Brawl 2000. This is the, in the waning, terrible end of days at WCW, where it was Goldberg against Scott Steiner. And got, l- let me just sell some things to you here. Goldberg was the babyface. Now, the video package before the match in- emphasised or at least told me, as the story they were telling, that the feud was started by Goldberg hitting Scott Steiner's valet with a jackhammer through a table. 
seeming to suggest that Goldberg, the babyface, started this feud by attacking a woman. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I get where you're coming from. That, that, they that. then proceeded to have a match that had no psychology, no flow, other than two men beating the shit out of each other and throwing each other around with... I mean, he did the... To Scott Steiner, who must have been 260, 270 pounds legit at that point, he gorilla press slammed him over his head, caught him in the power slam and nailed him on the ground. And and Scott Steiner in return was overhead belly-to-belly suplexing Goldberg all over the place. And then about halfway through... Vince Russo turns up, hits Goldberg in the back with a baseball a couple of times, and then it's just overbooked insanity. Scott Steiner wins the match by knocking Goldberg out, and then Vince Russo poses over him with one foot on his chest, ripping off his shirt to reveal his flabby body. Now, if that doesn't sum up 2000 WCW, I'm not sure what else does. <laughs> that That is... that is. I've heard of that, but it's... Um... It's it's a unique. I I I'm, I I want one episode we will go into the death of WCW, but I'm I'm not going to open that Pandora's box now. No. Um, another moment I'm going to go I'm going to go with a very personal memory of it, and it must have been at the start of the build up of Goldberg, where I was watching WCW Nitro on TNT on Sky before I then switched to, and this was when, for some reason, the Monday Night Raw, the Monday Night Wars were taking place on Fridays in the UK, because that was when Nitro and Raw would both be on. But Nitro, for a while, I think was condensed to a one-hour highlights package, but usually Goldberg was part of that highlights package. And it was pretty cool just watching this guy that you didn't know anything about, just seemed to, and every episode, he seemed to do something new. He seemed to do something different, and he took on someone different. He took on a powerhouse, then he took on a kung fu guy, then he took on an, then he took on one of the public enemy who brought a table to the ring, and he speared him through a table. And then he would take on a more established wrestler, then he'd take on the flock, and he'd have to fight off five people all at once. And he had this one match with Glacier, and I think Glacier was the guy who wrestled the most at that early stage. And Glacier went to do like a leg sweep on him, and Goldberg just did a handspring out of nowhere. He just flipped over on his hands. Incredible feat of athleticism for a guy his his size and his agility. And of course he was a man that also had flaws within his athleticism, as was portrayed by Stephen Regal. He couldn't do a spinning heel kick to save his life, and yet he insists on doing that occasionally. Um, and it was that one moment, just those little moments. Again, he was like highlights reel. That one little thing just made my jaw drop. It was like, what can't this guy do? He could probably do a 450 splash off the second <laughs> rope if he wanted to. Oh, God. And it was this exciting new thing that you hadn't seen before, and, and that was just a little moment that just I remember in that just blowing my mind. It was an exciting, again, just one of those things that would just remind you how exciting it was to watch wrestling back in 1998. I'm going to go with a moment from his WWE run, and that is his, what could have been his finest moment, but also a sign of how it was never going to work with the WWE. It was his appearance at the Elimination Chamber match at SummerSlam 2003. As he made his entrance, and he did his big build-up, kicking in the air and punching everything, he tripped over himself. But then, in quick succession, he wiped out Randy Orton, 
Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho in just a few minutes flat, wiped them all out, and they all were bumping like madmen for him. And the crowd was going ape shit. And then Triple H came in, hit him with a sledgehammer, won the match. You hate the sledgehammer, don't you? It's so fucking stupid. But it it summed up it summed up how it just was never going to work for Goldberg in WWE because he'd have just little moments of bad luck and there were guys in there that just had the ear of the boss that he didn't and he didn't care enough either I suppose and my final Mount Rushmore moment we are going to be in agreement there's not going to be any debate going on here it is his match with Diamond Dallas Page at Halloween Havoc '98 oh it is beautiful. DDP got as close to a great match out of him as it was possible to have. And also, it was a relatively short match. It was only about 12 minutes. So I remember there was this moment that Kevin Nash was trying to justify all the things that were bad about Goldberg. And was like, oh, we couldn't get 20 out of him with a hot shower. It's such a bullshit excuse. The main event does not have to be 25 minutes, 20 minutes long. You would go by the strengths of a person. Goldberg, the longest the Goldberg match should be is about 10 to 12 minutes. And the match he had with DDP was about 12 minutes, and it was 12 minutes of good, great action within the limitations of both performers, mm. and it told a good story, and they both did their job. And especially after the car crash that had been Hogan versus Warrior that had literally just taken place before then, and caused the show to overrun, and caused loads of people to miss that match. I mean... One great example, and I know I keep going back to it recently, um, is but UFC has conclusively proven that you do not need half and half an hour main events mm. to get great pay per view buys. Mm. Although it is stagnating slightly recently. Slightly. But cater to your strengths. You I think, play, I think yeah, that is you play to someone's strengths. You don't make Tom Cruise do Shakespeare any more than you'd make Goldberg do a four fifty splash. Any more than you'd make um, any more than you make Paul Giamatti star in Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> there's a mental image I didn't want. <laughs> any so, more? Oh, and, we could do this all night. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Simon, we're going to wind this down now. If people want to get in touch with you, if people want to follow you, if people want to listen to you talk about other things, what can they do to solve those outstanding flaws in their life? Well, they can find me on Facebook. Uh, they can follow me on Twitter at Simon Cross Free, because I am the third ever Simon Cross, and that has been conclusively proven. Mm. Or uh, they could either yell at me in the street, or they could hear my ramblings about football with Sir Thomas of Patrick on Mid-Table Crisis. Mm. Uh, how do our good women and men folk get in touch with yourself? Well, specifically, the women can look me up on Tinder. Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um. If you if you want to get in touch with me, my Twitter handle is Lorcan Mullen. That's L O R C A N M U W L A for Apple N. You can go on Amazon and purchase a copy of my book, Confessions of a Smart Wrestling Fan. And you don't have to have an ebook, Kindle, or anything else to read it. If you've got a smartphone, you can download a Kindle app and have it on your phone. And if you are a fan of wrestling, and you must be to have listened to the past hour of this then there's going to be something in it for you. I guarantee you'll have some enjoyment. You'll, you'll, this is a book for you. If you're a wrestling fan, and if you've listened to this conversation for the past hour and enjoyed it, then my book is exactly 
what you need to continue that enjoyment. Um, if you want to, please subscribe to us on our SoundCloud page. That's soundcloud.com slash Rebels. We will try and get it sorted so it will be on iTunes. We have some exciting future episodes. We have a guest that we're not going to speak of now. But it, we, we, we're absolutely delighted that we've got this guy. Well, that's kind of whittled it down to at least half of the uh, human race. <laughs> and let's face it, out of professional wrestling fans, that, that that's whittled a bit more than 50% off of A professional there. wrestling fan that you as a professional wrestling fan should know this person. So we're really excited. We're hopefully going to have him on an episode coming very soon. Um, we'll let you know uh, as soon as it happens when you'll be able to listen to it. But until then, my name is Lorcan Mullen. And my name is Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something and farewell Grapple fans. Could be the shadow of Goldberg. That's all the story. Oh wow! Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. That's the truth. You know what? That will live. You will. You know, you could be the biggest fucking jobber ever in the business, and that will live. That's <laughs> yeah, no, my in legacy. Infinity. Oh man, it's a long story, but it was like we got in an argument because we had a lot of problems in WCW, and uh, <laughs> he basically just put his hand on my throat and went ah. And you know, I'm not a tough guy, but when you put your hand on someone's throat, you better be ready to go for right. it all the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And, you better not be kidding around. Yeah, and uh, he apparently was, and I wasn't, so I just kind of. We just kind of got in a little bit of an altercation, and I took him to the ground, and I put him in a front face lock, just thinking I'm going to So the hold... front face lock thing was, you know. I said, I'm going to hold on as long as I can until he gets up and kills me, but he never got up, mm-hmm. and I just kept squeezing it in. Because when <laughs> I, the martial arts, I, like, oh, I scissor-legged him just to see what would happen, right. you know? And then I was like, come on, Mr. Martial Arts, Mixed Martial Arts, come on, tough guy. Then he stood up, and then I took him down and rolled him over again. I'm like, that's two times. Oh. I got you down twice, So brother. hold on, not only are you doing your set of promo, but you're the whole time. Oh. The whole time. Then they pulled us apart, and then uh, it was one of those deals where my friends were holding my hands behind my back, and he got free, and he's coming towards me. Let, let go, let go, let go. And, he, and I was like, oh, he's going to fucking punch me right in the face. And he came over, and he grabbed me by the hair. He just started pulling my hair. And my, <laughs> my friends let go, and I pie-faced him back, and then he oh just stood God. there. And it was just ridiculous. And then I said, you're being an asshole. And he went, your mother's a fucking asshole. What? And Booker T goes, did you just say your mother's an asshole? <laughs>